Hello everyone and welcome to Blended. It's episode 12 and that means it's been a whole year of Blended. I can't believe it, this year has gone by way too fast. And when I first started thinking about founding a podcast about DEI, I really wasn't sure how it would be received. It took a little while to build my confidence. I had some conversations with a few wonderful people who encouraged me to go for it. And wow, you know, I'm glad that I did. You guys have embraced the show even more than I could have imagined. I've hosted some incredible guests and I can't even describe how much of an honor it's been that they've opened up and shared their stories with us. In a lot of cases, they've been really sensitive, personal topics, and yet they've thrown themselves into it with authenticity and humor so that as a group we've been able to start to break down stigma and create a safe space for people to ask questions, learn, grow, and work through their own belief systems and experiences. We've tackled some huge topics like social inequality, racism, sexism, trans rights, and we don't plan on stopping now. Remember that you can catch up on any episodes you might have missed over on the letstalksupplychain.com website or any other platform where you subscribe. And of course, you can share your thoughts on a year of Blended over on social media. We'd love to know what you've enjoyed, what you think we could do better, and what you want to see in the coming year. So before we dive into today's episode, let's take a moment to learn about our sponsor. Diversity and inclusion is a core value of Apex Logistics. With over 80% minority employed and 42% female executive leadership, Apex understands that celebrating diversity in the workplace is vital and impactful, bringing together a variety of backgrounds and skill sets to create a strong and collaborative culture with highly skilled individuals. Our partnership with Blended emphasizes our commitment to this important principle. Visit us at apexglobe.com. So welcome back to Blended. I am joined by another wonderful new group of supply chain and DEI professionals. And today we're tackling the sometimes controversial subject of immigration. I've interviewed so many first and second generation immigrants on Let's Talk Supply Chain. And that aspect of the guest's identity more often than not really helps to shape who they are as people, their ambition and aspirations. It's always a fantastic talking point. So we thought it really deserved a show of its own. So welcome to the show, Stephanie, Martha, Shniha, and Shauna. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Having us, Sarah. I am so excited. So let's get to know each one of you. Let's start with introductions. So tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify. Stephanie, I am going to start with you. Great. Well, thank you, Sarah, for having this platform to talk about this topic. Um, my name is Stephanie. I'm a product manager at Terminal 49. Um, I am a avid traveler, foodie, and I love all things tech and uh, uh, all things tech and real estate. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, and I, my pronoun is she and her. Ah, thank you so much for, for doing that as well, because as we learned on one of our past episodes, it's really important for us to normalize our pronouns. And so I'm glad that you brought that up. Martha, you're up next. You are back on Let's Talk Supply Chain. 
<laughs> yes, I'm back. It's been a while. And I mean, I, I love Sarah. I've been um, on this show a few times and every single time I get to do this, I just, I get excited. I love what you do. I love everything you stand for. I'm super proud of you. And it's just been exciting. Yeah. I don't know. I have to introduce myself. I will in a little bit, but I have to <laughs> honor this woman. I have to honor, I have to honor oh, Sarah Barnes Humphrey. Um, she's been a huge proponent in just allowing for me to have a platform to be able to uh, to share, but to also meet so many incredible people in my industry. And she's forefront of some of the things that um, are challenging in supply chain, but also talking about issues like right now, where we're talking about, you know, uh, immigration and just uh, diversity. And I could not be thankful and um, just be, being able to, to be able to be on this show today. And for introduction purposes, I am Martha Lomatete, and I um, am a she-her, and I am... Um, I work for a company called McKesson Pharmaceuticals. I am in procurement supply chain. I am a senior category manager for uh, North America and the US. Love what I do and uh, I'm African by descent. I am so therefore an African-American and um, yeah, that's uh, a bit about myself. So just really glad to be here. Awesome. I'm super excited for you to be here. And this is an important topic. And I think we're going to get into some fun things today. So Shniha, tell us about yourself. How do you identify? Thank you so much for having me today, Sarah. Super excited to be sharing the platform with all the amazing ladies that we have on today. This is a topic very dear to me. And, um, you know, as Martha mentioned, I am just thankful for you and Blended to be doing what you are because we do not have such platforms that talk about these sensitive topics out in open. And that's also one of the reasons why change hasn't happened at the pace mm -hmm. it should have. So I'm, I'm very, very glad that I'm able to share my thoughts. I'm able to be on this platform and I'm super uh, grateful for you, for, for what you do for women, for, for every, um, for women in uh, supply chain specifically, and actually for every, um, for every one of us that, uh, you know, we have that Blended has showcased on their Thank platform. You. I you am me cry. a mom. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> I am a mom to 11 month old and a three year, three and a half year old toddler. Well, not toddler, so uh, not so much. So <laughs> two boys and so 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 much energy running in my house all the time. Um, I I am a supply chain operational professional. Um, been doing this for 10 years now for manufacturing and energy industries and um, have like supply chain is my first love. Um, you know that. And I am I'm loving what I have done in my past. I am I know that I'm going to do so much more in supply chain, circularity and sustainability in the coming years. So I'm excited about the possibilities and, of course, uh, possibilities for me in my career. And um I go, my pronouns are she and her, and I am an Indian American, so first generation Indian who navigated there, who has started uh, living in America, so, and of course, loving it. Awesome. Gl so glad that you're here and can't wait to hear your perspective and thank you as well for really getting behind Blended. You know, you and Martha have been big um, supporters of that and I, I really, really appreciate that. So last but absolutely not least, Shauna, 
please welcome to Blended and tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm just going to plus one what all the other lady has said about um, giving us this platform. But um, so my name is Shauna Zhang. Um, I am a product leader uh, currently at Wayfair uh, working on international supply chain. So I work on the tech side, specifically building software to enable and optimize our supply chain. Um, I am a mom to a uh, toddler uh, under two, two years old. So lots of things going on in her head right now. So never a dull moment at our house. Um, and a mom to a cat and a dog as well. So I'm also a fur mom. Um, and um, super excited to be here. My pronouns are she and her. Awesome. Awesome. I'm super excited for you to be here. And this is going to be a really, really great conversation. We've got a lot to cover and not a ton of time. So let's just dive in. And so when we feature topics like this, I always like to get started with a definition. I know it's something that we should all know the answer to, but there is a lot of media focus globally on the subject at the moment due, due to you know, certain current events, and it often results in misinformation and a general lack of understanding. People confuse legal immigration with illegal and that with refugees. So let's just clear up what we mean by standard immigration. Who wants to go first? Martha, do you have a perspective on the word immigration and how you feel about it and what it encompasses? Uh, so thank you for the opportunity, Sarah. Um, so my perspective on, <clears throat> excuse me, on um, what immigration is, um, I am a firm believer that immigration is the ability for um, individuals to uh, freely move, and in, and in, for individuals to freely move uh, internationally and cross borders away from what they would consider the native homes or native countries. Um, and they essentially move away and obtain um, a legal status to be able to live in that area uh, or country and become a resident or um, a naturalized citizen of that specific country that they have moved into. So that's what I consider to be immigration. Anybody else want to jump in here? Have you heard any negative or positive connotations around the word that maybe we should dispel before we get started? No? Okay. Well, I am going to read the dictionary definition of immigration. It's the action of coming to live permanently in a foreign country. So I love what you said, Martha, because I think you take exactly what that said and just expand on it a little bit to really understand what immigration actually means from somebody who has actually immigrated to a new country. Because a lot of times, you know, we're talking about this word, but there's a lot of people that haven't even experienced it that are talking about this word and what it means in the perspective. Shauna? I was going to say, you had asked about what to dispel. I think there's a lot of assumptions when people hear the word immigration, and a lot of those are surrounding those circumstances of what's in the news, mm -hmm. um, depending on where you live. Um, but it's based on the definitions and kind of what Martha was saying. It's a very broad, essentially, right? If it's just as objective as moving from one place to another place, there's not a lot of assumptions other than that's the fact. So I just want to call out that, like, to not think of it with assumptions, start with the actual factual definition. 
Yes, I think that that's super important because, and we've seen that with the pandemic, right? There's so many different things flying around about everything and misinformation and things like that, that I think you're right. We need to just break it down into the facts. And the facts is that the word immigration is talking about actually moving from one country to another. So most of the panel today are immigrants. And so I think the best place to start is with your stories and experiences. And so I'd love for each of you to share those journeys with us. So where is your home nation? Where do you live now? And why did you move? What was, and then we'll talk about the experiences. So Shneha, do you, do you want to start? Yeah, of course. Uh, I actually uh, migrated from India. And I did my bachelor's there and I moved to the uh, U.S. for higher uh, education. So wanted to do my MBA, got into uh, the University of Pittsburgh and did my MBA in supply chain. Why U.S.? Uh, well, uh, my husband had already studied here and I already knew um, how awesome the higher education was here and the opportunity to network and the opportunities that open up after MBA specifically. So I was doing some quality supply chain before in my career and already knew that I wanted to um, um, learn more and like get my um, MBA in that field. And so what better than coming here and getting that done? So that's why I navigated here. And then me and my husband were supposed to live together, but we didn't. So he had to, he had to go to the UK for work. So we actually did long distance for two years while I was doing my degree wow. in Pittsburgh, which wasn't very easy. Um, so, you know, we navigated, I, I was navigating between the UK and uh, the US while I was studying and during my holidays. So that was fun, I'd say. And um, I, so, I mean, right now I am in Southern California. So Los Angeles, absolutely love the sun being the tropical girl I am. <laughs> and, uh, and just enjoying the work that I have been doing and I am doing right now. I'm um, really liking it. But yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that's why I moved to the US and I have some amazing stories uh, since the day I landed here to the day, I, to this day, uh, that I'll share eventually in the episode. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And I also want to know, you know, because I guess you could have picked between the US and the UK because your husband mm -hmm. was in the UK. Mm -hmm. Why did you pick the US? Uh, as you know, so actually it happened to, the live, to live, right? I, like you did it for school, but like to live eventually. Why? Did yes, you of course. That? Of course. And, you know, the opportunities were huge because my husband had already done his MBA. We knew about it. He was working here and then had to go there for a two years contract project. Oh, uh, whatever. So we already knew. And I, I mean, kind of, I, I knew that I, I, I had to build my living here. I had to live here. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I can't wait to get into some of those stories. Stephanie, what about you? What, what's, what's your story? What, what has your experience been like? Um, similar to Shauna, I moved here when I was 12. Um, when I arrived, I didn't speak a word of English. I learned my ABCs in school here. Um, so it's been a very very fun experience to not only learn about the culture, um, the language itself. Um, I remember growing up, there's also times about pronunciation, make sure that learn how to blend into the American culture as much as possible. Um, but at the same time, there's always these cultural struggles of who do I identify with? Do I identify 
let go of my Asian culture so I can blend in a little bit more? Or do I be more Chinese, be like my family and um, have that cultural conflict of who really, who am I? Mm -hmm. Um, We left about 30 years ago um, from China. Uh, My, the city I was born in is called Qingdao. if you drink beer, you've probably seen Tsingtao beer at all the Chinese restaurants. So it's a lovely beach town. Um, but my grandparents have been here for, I think, maybe 50s, 60s. Hmm. And my dad's family were separated because of the war. So we were the last family members to migrate here. Oh, wow. um, so I never met my grandmother uh, until I moved here when I was 12. Um so it's learning about language, you know, connecting with cousins and aunts that I never met before until we got here. So, yeah, it, it's a very good experience. Uh, you learn a lot about who you are. And I think up until even college or in my 20s, you're always very torn about who do you identify with uh, and how much of that Asian identity you want to uphold and keep. Mm-hmm. Um But now I just appreciate both of it because it gives me an opportunity to not only learn and understand about my Chinese heritage, the past, and also appreciate the opportunities I have here. Um, Yeah, so I I do see there's uh, other immigrants probably struggle with the identity, where is home, where is true home and your culture. Um, But I, I find that when you fight so much about it, it's the best just to dance with it and accept what's in front of you and the opportunity that you're presented. And to me, it's just been, uh, once that revelation came, it just I'm just so much happier. I, I, you know, I love the way that you put that, but I guess it would have been very difficult because you would have been living in two different worlds, right? Like you would go to school and you would be with your American <laughs> counterparts and then you would go home and home would probably be more Chinese, I would assume. And so you're kind of like you're one foot into one culture and one foot into another culture. I think part of it, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, and like you talked about dancing, right, is almost embracing Mm -hmm. the parts of each culture that work for you as an individual, Because sometimes the cultures are forced on you, right? Like you have to do this holiday and you have to do that holiday and you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this. I I don't know, but I'm just sort of asking the question is instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, being forced into some of those really sitting down and figuring out what works for you as an individual, as far as each of those different cultures. Is that right? Oh, absolutely right. I think it was so complex where, um, you learn these culture, you have friends at school, um, but my parents didn't understand any of the culture itself. So it's really right. hard to explain to them why I want to go to senior prom, why I want to go to the sprint dance. It's just part of the culture that you want to be in because you want to be more American. Um, but for them, you know, I don't think in, in China, they have these like celebrations. Um, so you're constantly struggle. I also remember going to school, my parents would pack me lunch and I will always have these like rice and noodles that my, my, you know, my classmate didn't understand. I was like, why is she eating dumpling? What is that? 
uh, and I just want to blend in. Sometimes I would just, you know, have a little bit of extra money. I will buy a burrito or a sandwich so I can kind of blend in a little bit. Mm. Um, but now I, I love food. Um, I, I love just learn different cultures about food. And I think part of it is that you, when you try to blend in so much that you always have this internal conflict. Um, and when you start stop fighting yourself, stop judging yourself, that's when you realize it's actually every chance about going through this conflict is an opportunity to learn about yourself. It's an opportunity to accept yourself a little bit more than judging yourself of who do I identify with. Yeah. And once you start accepting yourself, that's the part where I feel it's the biggest revelation, the biggest weight that just came off of me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is a big learning for anybody who is judging anybody, you know, based on accent or whether they can speak English or not. And so thank you very much for sharing that. Shauna, I want to go over to you and ask you about your experience. You know, when did you move here? Why did you move here? And what has that experience been like for you? Do you share some similarities with Stephanie? Yeah. Um, to answer your last question, yes, I share some similarity, but I also share quite a bit of differences, which is really interesting hearing um, uh, Stephanie's experience. So I came to the U.S. when I was eight years old, almost nine. Um, I'm originally from mainland China, but grew up in a very ethnic area in Inner Mongolia. So I grew up with lots of Muslims, lots of Christians, lots of religiously just every all over the place kind of at that intersection of kind of um, of, of Central Asia kind of ethnicities. Um, I came to the United States and moved right into Des Moines, Iowa. So probably the one of the less diverse areas in the United States. So very Midwest. So immediately thrown into kind of what it is to be stereotypically American. Um, and I don't think I struggled as much or kind of from what Stephanie was saying around, am I Chinese, am I American? Because it was really easy to compartmentalize. Um, I am probably one of a handful of um, ethnically Asian people in my entire school. So it was, um, I never actually felt like I was Asian when I'm at school. It was just the same as everyone else, which was really interesting. Um, and my family did international business. So I would spend summers, months every summer in China. So I had friends and family and, and that kind of ability to compartmentalize and be Chinese for part of the time and then come back to the US for school and be American, um, that other part of, you know, that other part of my life. So I think that was, it was interesting to hear Stephanie talk about it because um, I think unlike Stephanie's experience because of the ability to kind of just shift, kind of shape shift a little bit from one into another and not having that conflict made me, um, I guess, wondered less about like, who am I? Because you always had that identity, but it was very much are you Chinese and are you American? And it wasn't kind of Chinese living in America type of um, experience. How, how old were you when you moved here? Oh, I was eight, almost nine. Okay. So, cause Stephanie was 12. And so mm -hmm. those are going into some very formative years, but, and Shauna, I mean, at eight or nine, 
you've still got a few more years before we before you really get into sort of those teenage years. So maybe I don't I don't know, but maybe that was part of the difference. Yeah, it, it definitely could be. But I think the fact that, you know, when I immigrated into the United States, the door was still so open to go back into China right. every, you know, for half of the year that made the experience a little bit different. So it wasn't me trying to be, you know, living in another world and trying to, you know, having to um, assimilate to everything that was foreign to me. It was just part of your life, maybe because I was so young that it was just part of your life, part of your um, your reality, right? And then you had the opportunity to go back to the reality you were comfortable with. So perhaps that made it a little bit different as well. Well, I think also what makes it interesting is that you went to Iowa. And like you said, you were one of the only Asian or if not the only Asian, either in the school or in your class or, or what that yep. looks like. But they never made you feel different. Is that what I'm, is that what yeah, I'm Yeah, it, it's actually very, I actually do have a good story about it because it wasn't until I went to college, I moved to Los Angeles, went to the University of Southern California did I have my first kind of experience in which I felt different? Wow. Um, I was, um, you know, as a freshman, there, there's the there's the Greek system and you're rushing for sororities and whatnot. And an Asian sorority came up to me and asked me to be part, you know, rush for that sorority. And I and I was walking with a girlfriend of mine who is Caucasian, and they didn't give her the ability, the opportunity to rush for that sorority. That was the moment when I realized, wait, I'm different. Right. So it was kind of a weird reverse culture shock kind of thing when I actually went into a bigger city when the distinctions between race was more, um, you know, more apparent than when you are in a place in which you are truly the minority. Right. So, and, and maybe perhaps you weren't a threat or different. You were just, you know, one of them. So interesting. And, you know, for, for childhood, I mean, I'm glad that you had that experience because there's a lot of yeah, people very that lucky. don't have that experience, you know, and it shapes them for the rest of their lives. So Martha, last but absolutely not least, let's hear about your story. Tell us, you know, what happened? Where did you come from? Where did you move to? Why did you move? Share with us some experiences. I was going to say, and I was like, Oh, that's gonna be a good answer. Where did I come from? <laughs> <laughs> Where did you move from? Okay. Where did you move from? <laughs> um, all right. So I moved from uh, Kenya, Mombasa, Kenya, in um, 2003. And like everybody else, I came to college. So I went to um, Southern Methodist University um, here in Dallas. Um, my I wanted to come when I was. I don't know what, 15, my dad said, I have to be joking. He said, no. Uh, I said I was too young. I did not understand the world and I was not um, ready to be an adult um, in a faraway country. So I did my undergrad in Kenya in law before I came to do my master's program um, at Southern Methodist University. Now for me, I will share the sentiments that Shana shared. For me, it was not a very difficult uh, process to, um, I, get, I guess, to be part of the American culture per se. Uh, and the reason for that is my school did an incredible job uh, helping you just assimilate into your environment. 
So the program I was in had a lot of international students, but the school went out of its way to um, introduce you uh, slowly uh, but surely into just how things worked in the U.S. So they would have sessions on, um, in, you know, how to uh, to function. They would have sessions with other students. They would have families that would, I know, have you bring you in for dinners and, you oh. know, just kind of help you, um, you know, make friends um, and just uh, also interact with the students who are doing the regular law program um, at SNU. So that definitely was a huge uh, reason as to why it wasn't very challenging for me. And I also, because I had a lot of friends here um, as well that, you know, have had, had been here, going to school here, lived and worked here for a long time. And so they kind of just helped me, you know, walk through um, some of the challenges that I would have faced if I didn't not know anybody. So I, I cannot exactly share that it was difficult. I think for me, the most difficult part of it was probably adjusting to the weather um, uh, and adjusting to missing, you know, my family, but overall, uh, as a as an immigrant, it really was not that difficult. Just because my school and people that are around me made it very, very, very easy um, to do it. And also because growing up in Mombasa, Kenya, uh, I'll share the same thing as Shana. Is my environment was very um, diverse. So like my schools, we had Muslims, Christians, we had Hindu, we had. Um, uh, Chinese people, so it's, it was an influx of very different cultures. So for example, we celebrated um, uh, like in my school on every Friday, we would do primary school, we would switch out like Muslim prayers, Christian prayers, Hindu prayers. So we would wow. alternate. Yeah, mm -hmm. we would alternate every Friday. And they wanted to make sure that you are able to appreciate and um, be respectful of your other students' cultures and religions. And so we did like Ramadan out fast with my classmates, not because I was a Muslim, but because it just made things easier for everybody. And it was a choice. You didn't have to do it. It just, I kind of would, we, we would do it together. And then yeah. like Christmas would celebrate Christmas together. And then, you know, like for the, for the uh, Hindu culture, we would do Diwali together. We would all look forward to like Diwali. It's a celebration. It's an important celebration for them. And so we would all kind of take part in that. And so for me moving here, the one thing I learned to appreciate is that my hometown, Mombasa, which was essentially a port of entry for um, for trade, you know, in the 1800s, 1700s, we would go way back. It was a port of entry. So we had the Chinese, the Portuguese, the Indians, the Arabs. We had the English. It was a port of entry. So there's that, that amalgamation of different cultures, and it has kind of settled in to the environment. And so we just kind of lived together. And so when I moved here, I just kind of, you know, did not think anything, you know, religion-wise, people-wise, it was normal, you know. And so, um, so that's what I would say is I, I learned to appreciate the fact that my hometown was very diverse, but also very tolerant when it came to religion and diversity. Unlike moving here where I did notice, you know, after some time of living here, you, you kind of see that they, it's not as tolerant as it should be being a first world country. So that was a huge uh, surprise for me, but uh, I was thankful for just how I grew up. So yeah, that's a little bit about my background. I like what an amazing way to grow up. Okay, because they talk about Canada and I'm in Canada 
And they talk about us being a diverse culture. But I can tell you that at school, we were not learning about other religions and we were not celebrating other people and their religions. I mean, that would have been amazing. And I would have loved that. But to call us an, a diverse country when we're not even, you know, halfway up to snuff as to what you're doing in Kenya, it just blows my mind because we shouldn't be called that. But anyway, Shauna, you want to? Yeah, I was just going to add maybe perhaps the way that we were growing up in our home countries really helped shape our views on what it's like to be an immigrant in another country. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I remember going to, I went to a Manchurian elementary school and there was, and on Mondays, and there were Muslims there. And on certain days, we couldn't eat pork. And on certain days, you know, you were, you were doing the customs of another group of people there like at, and there were a family that lived next door to us that were Christian but I just remember I couldn't wrap my head around what a Christian was and right. trying to wonder what that was um but perhaps that could have shaped our ideas of what when we became an immigrant and a minority in another place what our views on those were so were you disappointed I mean, when you grow up in such a rich environment and then you come to an environment like North America, which, you know, as Shneha said, there's abundance of opportunity as it's seen, but the culture is not exactly necessarily as accepting as the one that you left. So Shneha, do you want to jump in there with that? Yeah, and I actually was, you know, listening to what Stephanie and Shana and Martha pointed out, and my experiences are probably similar to what Stephanie was saying. And although I migrated here when, like, you know, I did my bachelor's, I was pretty much an adult when I migrated here. Um, and so I think uh, it worked out, um, it could work out either way, because I'm I'm coming with some bias, right? And so it's not that I am nurturing everything, you know, you can, I've not, I, I already have some opinions of my own. And then I come into a different country. I'm trying to learn a new language. And so when I say a new language, meaning an accent, I already knew English and India, Indian English is very close to um, the UK, like the British English, okay. not the American English. So I actually had to take a separate class to improve my accent. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, people here can actually could, you know, understand my accent because there's a difference in how we say words so that was interesting and I, I would say that I'm glad I took it because um, you know it's easier uh, in my conversations so let's stop there for a minute because I want to talk about accents how do you yes. all feel about your accent do you embrace it have you tried to hide it um, is it, has it been a bias or a roadblock for you? Let's talk about this because this is a big part of immigrating to a country and potentially having a slight accent. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as I told you, I took a class, I embrace it, but I know there's a bias. And I mean, in my initial years, I've actually tried to hide it because imagine like coming uh, to a school, doing something, navigating a totally different curriculum, how we are talking, how we are networking. I mean, I wasn't exposed to all of that before in my bachelor's. I was just navigating a totally different pace of learning when I came here. So I did try to hide it. Absolutely. And um, that bias, uh, 
is there i mean you know look at all the comedy shows all these stand up comedies it's there right mm-hmm. so yeah i did hire it i mean um i do not anymore and i Good. and you know accents is so it's, it's beautiful such, it's beautiful. such a core part of my being of where i grew up i actually brought brought that into this country so i do not anymore and i'm happy the way i am uh but it took me some years to learn that hmm. martha um so i would say uh the accent thing definitely was a a challenge in terms of you know you want to fit in uh but i think for me it was really what my i, I guess my my dad you know taught us he said the biggest thing about english is yes you have your mother tongue you're always going to have that you know underlying factor of having grown up in kenya and having speaking four languages he always say just learn to enunciate the words if you enunciate the words and somebody can understand you and you learn how to pronounce it properly then it doesn't really matter what your accent is and he would give examples of you know uh people on tv says if they can pronounce those difficult names why can they not understand what you're saying and so for me i basically took that you know to heart and i think the biggest thing for me was just learning how to maybe slow down my speech and enunciate words that typically i wouldn't say in uh english growing up in kenya um and it, it didn't quite really like bother me or stress me out and i my 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 response typically when people would tell me i have an accent my response would be so do you you have an accent because yes. to my ears you don't sound like where i grew up so for me you have an accent just like i do say like anybody who doesn't sound like me did not grow up as me did not speak the way i speak to my ears you sound foreign so i would say i sound foreign to you and you sound foreign to me because i have to learn to hear your intonations as well as you have to learn to hear my intonations yeah. so that was typically my response back and i said let's just put it back to the baseline to where i don't want you to feel you know i have to struggle that hard to fit and i said it has to be a two way thing mm-hmm. because you also have to hear what i'm saying and understand and sometimes i may say some words and i have to repeat myself because it doesn't sound the way you think it should and so for me that's that's really how i dealt with the whole accent thing and, and are and, you okay if people ask you to repeat um yeah it's fine yeah because there's some certain words that i uh will naturally struggle with mm-hmm. you know and i i i don't mind uh repeating myself or even sometimes spelling it out and i think it's normally for me it's normally funny you know mm-hmm. when i do that because i'm like it's a, it's a, it's a, a chance to be able to to laugh about the fact that we are so different but we can be able to find that sense of humor in our differences and to be able mm-hmm. to enjoy that so i don't mind repeating myself at all and i i ask you that because a lot of people would shy away from asking you to repeat it because they think that they're like oh my goodness it's going to spell out that she's got an accent and i didn't understand it and so it creates awkwardness or you know i feel bad or they feel bad like we need to stop that and yeah. just ask questions and yes. you know it's funny about the accent because like english is my mother my mother tongue but i'm canadian so my accent when i say about and out and people pick up on that and that's my accent you know what i mean stephanie did you want to jump in sure um i think accent is something i really struggle with when i was younger um you know i came here when i was 12 not knowing 
any of the ABCs, my parents really try to force me to acclimate faster by taking away all the um, Chinese books, newspaper that I was familiar with, just so that I can learn faster, to acclimate faster. Um, I mean, at age 12, I that's when you your, your tongue, your, the way your pronunciation kind of start to stabilize to what you're most comfortable with. So when I moved here without all the Chinese books, the comics, I was really struggling just to blend in and make sure I pronunciate correctly so that I don't stand out as an immigrant. Um, I think I was so self-conscious for a while, even to, you know, through high school and college, I remember I was so nervous um, doing a speech class to speak in front of the whole class. Um, I was I started developing stutterness <laughs> because I was more focused about how to pronounce certain words properly, um, how to focus the vo my voice rather than the speech class um, public speaking itself. Um, I think for a while in my college, I actually, I would read out a book, record myself and listen to my pronunciation after. Wow. Um, so I, I just struggle a little bit. Um, but I think once you realize why am I spend so much time on trying to blend in when I can just accept myself, um, I think that's when I realized I stopped focusing so much on pronunciation that I think my pronunciation was more relaxed. Mm -hmm. It was more, um, and I think I pronounced better for the most part to without having that self-consciousness of if someone recognized I'm an immigrant, my pronunciation is off. Um, will they look at me differently? Will they treat me differently? Um, so when that, when that stopped, um, the slowly the stutterness went away. <laughs> um, and I don't think about what other people think of me anymore. And I think that's also because there's more immigrants now. You see, you see other people struggle with pronunciation. And um, what I learned is just to slow down, really think about what I want to say. And the, the pronunciation just kind of goes away. Sometimes it does come back. Sometimes when I have a glass of wine and I do recognize that pronunciation might not be <laughs> as soft. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so social scenes, I know my cutoff is probably two glasses of wine before I lose that focus of pr proper pronunciation. Um, but, you know, when you learn to accept yourself and not judge yourself so harshly, I think you realize that other people might not even judge you about your pronunciation that it just, you just slow down, speak what you want to speak and focus what you want to say. And that kind of just went away. I have got tears in my eyes. Here we go. I'm I tell you every single episode, this does this to me because, you know, I feel like everybody struggles with that self-worth and what are people, you know, worried about what other people, but being in uh, somebody who's come into a new country and potentially doesn't know the language and has to learn the language or has an accent or something like, I just, you know, it just touches my heart about how much each one of you has gone through personally and from a mental health standpoint and what people think about and they go through 
on top of the already regular life that you have to you have to navigate and you know it just shows how amazing every single one of you are you know and and everybody's amazing but for you to come on here and share authentically and talk about your journey and the struggles and the successes and how you felt about different things i hope that we can open up the hearts and minds of everybody when they're talking to somebody who's new to the country and maybe we have more empathy and we have more patience and we can better understand what's going through somebody's mind when you're having a conversation, just a simple conversation, all of these stuff, all of these things are flowing through your mind. So I just, I appreciate all of you and we're not even halfway through. So, but I just wanted to say that Shauna, did you want to um, jump in on the accent conversation? Yeah, sure. I can give a kind of my take on it. I think when I came, I was eight years old. So, you know, language wasn't fully developed. So learning English for me, because I was such a young age, was just continuing your, you know, learning of a language. So I I don't think I had the experience of feeling like, oh, I had an accent or anything. But what I do remember was I had to work a lot harder and kind of fake it till you make it. I remember um in elementary school you know every morning you had to kind of you know sing the the national anthem and then pledge of allegiance I remember for a good six months I was faking and pretending I knew the pledge of allegiance and no but what the interesting thing was no one around me knew I was faking it okay so I realized that oh well I will have to try a lot harder to actually really understand it. But while I do that, nobody really needs to know that I didn't actually know it. So um, I thought that was really interesting. But, you know, when you're younger and and I think like you're because your language hasn't been fully developed, um, you don't necessarily have the same kind of accent or understanding of accents. Um, as much as if you came kind of later on, um, or just know that, you know, people think of it differently or, or anything like that. So um, I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. I, I think it's great advice. I mean, fake it till you'll make it. I mean, we talk about that in entrepreneurship. We talk about that in our careers, <laughs> but it's the same thing when you're moving to a new country and, you know, you have to learn the language and you, you want to fit in because that's, yeah. you know, yeah. that's entirely what you want to do right yeah and I think what was also really interesting is that because I lived in Iowa and it was you were kind of like the shiny object because you were different people seem to have accepted you a little bit better because they all want to help you because they feel like they need to help you so I remember being like you know when you're in elementary school it's like where you sit in the lunchroom and who your friends are I was always asked to sit with somebody in the lunchroom. So I never felt like I was isolated or alone. And perhaps it was just because I was the shiny new thing that was different than everyone. And they found it to be interesting or whatever, whatever the reason is. So I kind of had the opposite of a, of the struggling immigrant child experience because I was so young. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that. And, I, you know, it's it's interesting, everybody's different journey and what that looks like and what the challenges have been and the successes. I want to go back to words for just a minute because the word immigrant. So a lot of you have been in the country for a while. When do we stop calling people immigrants? Do you take offense to the word? Like, 
what, how do we navigate that, right? Is it a good word? Is it a bad word? And when do we use it and when do we stop using it? <laughs> Who wants to take this one? Stephanie. <laughs> the word immigrant, I, I think it doesn't, it, it, to me, it's almost normalized, but I do find almost offensive when you get a green card and your green card says alien card. Oh, yeah, that's not fun. It, it, it almost feel like you're a foreign object that you're here. Um, that I, I still find it even today when you get a green card, it says alien card, hmm. um, identification card. Uh, the word immigrant to me is you migrate from one place to another. Um, but I do find that if you are moving from one place to another, everywhere you go should give you a basic human needs, a shelter, food. And I think we do an okay job, but we can definitely do better to support those that come here going through a new culture and give them better, have a better system to help them to adapt, to, to, to be, you know, mm -hmm. be at ease and have a better transition. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Martha? So I don't, I don't exactly get offended. I don't get, I don't get offended easily. Uh, it, it takes too much, too much work, too much toll. <laughs> <laughs> so the word immigrant doesn't necessarily bother me, honestly. Um, I think uh, to some degree, all of us are an immigrant of some sort to wherever it is that we live. So, I mean, whether you go back to the forefathers of this country, the U.S., um, somebody immigrated somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, I think it's when people take the word and then misuse it and then um, it becomes a negative connotation or they use it to hurt or to injure other people. That's when I think I I would raise my hand up and be like, OK, why would you use it from in that perspective? I think that's that's the only time that I would um that, that it, it, it kind of bothers me. But overall, as a word in itself, I think it. It, it, it remains with us because the human population will always move. Mm -hmm. So that's a constant. It's not going to change for as long as, you know, there's industrialization in these countries that are, you know, in a population growth or population dynamics. People want better life, you know, to do better for their families. I think that dynamic is never going to go away. So I think once we settle ourselves into that reality and accept that that's always going to be the case, um, I think it, it helps us to, to, to have more grace and to be more accepting of people that are different from, from ourselves. And, and um, I think as a human race, we um, are kinder to one another. And so I think that that's, that's, that's my perspective towards it. And, and we are less more wary or scared of people that are different from us because we only know what we know, right? Mm -hmm. So... I think that's that's my point of view on that. So and labels. I mean, really, do we need a label? I don't know. I don't think we do. I think we're all global citizens. Yes. You know, in the human race. So Shniha, though, like, when do you stop calling somebody an immigrant, or when do you stop calling yourself an immigrant? I actually if we do are not gonna label it. 
Yeah, I I actually do not know when will anyone stop calling me or anyone who migrate from another country call stop calling us immigrants. Honestly, like to me as well, I do not consider that word in particular like specifically offensive. Of course, depending on what kind of um, what's the context in what in what context are you using it, yeah. and also as um, you know the boundaries that we have created with countries and continents is all man made. Right. It's I mean, to be philosophical, right? We we created those boundaries. We have created these and the labels. And we the labels, right? It's just labels. yeah. I mean, um, we I mean, you know, Martha was saying we all are immigrants. I think America is a land of immigrants, just talking about America. Um, and so we all at some point, at some generation, migrated from somewhere to wherever we are now. Um I really do not know when will we be stopped calling, you know, Stephanie, you brought a great point when you said, said alien, because it bothers me because alien is like, for me, alien is someone coming from another planet. Right. And as long as I belong to the same planet, I don't think I'm an alien. It's, I do not know if other countries do the same, but, you know, just being tagged with, oh, your what's your alien registration? <laughs> like, I look They human. actually ask you that? I uh, like you know sometimes if I go to USPS or something there'll be some questions okay what's your alien registration and I'm like I am human I I do not consider myself an alien so but you know it just that is like weird sometimes like it's funny matter words matter and we need to somebody in the U.S. government needs to listen to this episode (laughs) and and understand what that word is doing to people because we need to eliminate it it just means it just needs to say green card I know, I know. I mean, there was an age and era when these things were, in, you know, created and, you know, we have moved on. Like we are yes. in the century that we are in. We're talking about equality. Like, come on, like change things around you. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, to your question, Sarah, I do not know if we ever will, like, you know, will any of my generation be stopped calling uh, even, you know, after me be stopped called and call it will not be called as an immigrant. I think that still exists. This bias has to go away in the mm-hmm. society overall. It's not just, you know, it's not a matter of today, tomorrow, or for as long as I live. This, oh, this the, the mentality and the connotation and how we are addressing people has to change. And that has to happen when, you know, of course, when we talk more about it, when we, when we object about it, when we... You know, when someone calls me that, I should stand up and stop them. If or, you know, if I'm if I consider that as an abuser, or it's a matter of perspective. Yep, it's a matter of somebody's perspective as to what they mean when they use that particular word, right. and so it comes back to the intention of when you're having a conversation with somebody and you're going to use a certain word or a label inside of that conversation. And that's why we have these conversations on Blended is for people to be more intentional and Mm -hmm. be more aware of the words that they're using in conversations that they're having. Shauna, did you want to add to this, the, the word immigrant? Um, Just one quick thing. I think earlier I mentioned that, you know, the word immigrant by its definition is very factual. Mm -hmm. Um, So if people are using that word with a specific assumption behind it, based on their perspective, that's when I would find it offensive. Yeah. But if they're really just using it as, 
you know, yes, you move from one place to another. It's not offensive at all. Like everybody is moving from place to place and we're very lucky to have the freedom to be able to move from one place to another. And many people don't. Um, so it's actually a wonderful thing. Um, but when people use those, that word with some sort of intent, you know, malintention or some sort of assumption behind it because of some circumstantial thing happening within the world, in the news or whatnot, I think that's when it could be seen as offensive or, or even assumed to be offensive. And when you become a permanent resident, are you still considering yourself an immigrant? Well, the permanent resident is what the alien card is, is a permanent resident. Like a oh, green sorry, card. if you get your citizenship, not permanent, I was reading uh, the comment. Citizenship, if you get your citizenship, are you still considering yourself an immigrant? For me, yes. I mean, okay. I immigrated to this country okay. while I, I was not born here. So, you know, if it was just based on the definition of what an immigrant is, I don't find it offensive or anything like that. But when people start using it, when there's like tensions between, you know, let's say China and the US and people are using that word in a negative connotation, then I would find it offensive because there's some sort of, you know, assumptions made around people who immigrated here from China who did something based on some circumstantial situation that's happening right now. Um, so let's talk about that. We're gonna poke the bear a little bit with the word Asian. Right, because obviously in the last 18 months, there has been an increase in Asian hate. I don't know a ton about it. Um, maybe if somebody can enlighten us, but I also think that that word Asian encompasses all sorts of amazing cultures, right? From Chinese to, I even believe, Indian. And so what do we feel about the word and how are we, because you know, both Stephanie and Shauna today have said that they're of Chinese descent or Mongolian descent, right? And so how would I know or somebody in my position know, except for to call you Asian, how do we navigate that word, right? Because you could be Korean or you could be, I mean, in Indian and Korean, potentially there's a bigger difference, right? So do we ask you, how do we navigate this word? and Tell me about, you know, what's been happening on the Asian hate side and how we get through that and what that's been looking like. Whoever wants to go first. I didn't put this in the script audience, so I'm kind of throwing this at everybody. <laughs> and so I think they need a minute just to think about it. <laughs> I mean, I'll go first. Um, I, I think for me, I, I really struggled with the, um, the Asian hate, just again, like I shared my background growing up in Kenya, it's very diverse, it's very accepting. I, I really struggled um, to see, uh, you know, the non the Pacific Islanders, you know, anybody, you know, who was considered to be of Asian descent, um, you know, the violence has been there, apparently, it just hasn't been documented as well as um, other crimes. And during COVID-19, um, the Asian hate spiked and it went up and it really, some of the baseline was to do with belief that uh, COVID-19 um, 
emerged from, you know, from China or from the Asian countries based on what they eat or um, what they do for, um, you know, for food. And, and so depending on what perspective you decided to choose or what side of the, um, the coin you wanted to play on, uh, I think people played on that and um, other things to find reason to explain their fear um, or to explain things they didn't understand about COVID-19 specifically. Um, and people express themselves in, um, um, I think the human population, when they don't have an answer to some things, you, you try to seek uh, for an answer, right? And, mm -hmm. and sometimes we grasp um, to what makes sense to a majority or depending on what environment you're in. So for me, I it hurt. It's I struggled because I I have a lot of uh, friends or family or um, people that I know that are Asian. And for me, I personally, whether you're Chinese or whether you're um, like for me, I, you're human, you know. So for me, it's just it's simple as that. You're human. It shouldn't really it shouldn't really matter. And so for me, um, Asian hate, African hate, you know, Black American. I think it's just it should stop. Like I. I, I, I don't have a tolerance for that, to be honest with you, Sarah. I, 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 I did talk about it. I posted about it and it didn't make a difference to me. It's the simple fact that it's inhumane and just it's, you're human. Mm -hmm. You know, color of skin doesn't matter. Your religion doesn't matter. You're human, you know. Yeah. And so for me, I, that's how I feel about it. I, I talk about it right now and I just, my heart just, I just, I don't understand when people do those things. I grapple with them um, to get to that state of mind where you feel it's okay to treat another human being in that perspective. And I watched videos of older Asian women being beat up by people and nobody helping them and just, and my soul broke, you mm -hmm. know? And I just, I, um, I, 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 I give to charities to figure a way to help correct and to educate people and to share that, it, we're human first, yeah. you know, and that's the baseline of it. And so I get emotional talking about that. Talking. I know we're all going to cry. We're yeah, all gonna I cry. do. And but so, I, I um, also want to highlight, obviously, in this episode, what's been happening as well, um, not only from the word standpoint, but also talk a little bit about what has been happening and how do we how do we help support and how do we stop this from happening? So, Shneha, before I go to Shauna and Stephanie, I want to go to you next because Coming from India, you're technically Asian, right? And so, yeah. you know, how do we, how do you feel that we should navigate this word? And also, what have you felt, you know, through all of this? Because at the end of the day, you're also considered Asian. Yeah, I mean, um, so, you know, I was telling you before, like before we started this, that, um, you know, when, a, and, and I don't know, this, this has changed, but in the past, whenever I've applied for jobs, they, um, you know, we have to categorize, like, you know, identify ourselves. And um, actually, I the, uh, the option that I get is usually Asian. And it's, it makes sense sometimes because we are part of the country, but then yet being of the continent, yet being part of that continent, we all are different. I mean, it's not just India, but China, New Korea to Taiwan. I have friends from all these countries, right? Including myself. And so we are all different in some ways. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, there is a bias with people on uh, when people say, you know, I've, I've heard that, that we all look the same. 
and um it's it's um you know and it you know it it is um it's sensitive it can hurt people and if that bias exists that needs to change um because we all come from an ethnicity and we all have our own unique identities and we would like to be respected for where we come from and i mean as far as you know that whole hate episode that um uh you know that happened and it it's you know it keeps happening it's not you know it, it was asian hate there has been you know crime against indians too i know you know we we talk about um african american hate and all of that the you know just on humane grounds any kind of hate is not acceptable nobody should have a tolerance for any kind of hate hate neither against humans nor against animals no one around us hate in itself is a bad thing to propagate within a society and the fact that things are happening such events and incidents are happening at this time and age that we live in is mm-hmm. so disappointing it's so frustrating also yeah. uh like we have progressed so much we're talking tech we're talking going to another planet yet we are still bound with that within that um that's within you know how small do we think when we do acts like this that's true you know on one side you talk uh, so much about progression and uh, all of that yet we are still stuck in those uh, you know uh, fences of uh, women of color how do women progress what's what about you you're an immigrant what about your color and uh, i mean um it's it's disappointing and i'm sorry sorry to be living in a world that has taken so long and it's still not changed Yeah. Well, and I think with that word Asian when you were talking about having to fill out an application to work somewhere, I mean, is that just not the place that we need to just start with that? Like take it off the freaking questionnaire people. You I I do have to tell you and I do not know how ATS works. I mean, people who ATS is, you know, you know, I I have also heard stories that we have to actually identify if we are a non-immigrant or not. Like if we are if we do not have the citizenship to work here. I mean, do you have a green card? Are you a green card holder or are you not pretty much? So we have to identify that and some of the ATS is actually filter our applications based on that category. Mhm. Um so and I just, you know, you know I I think that there's easy wins here and i think that that application that questionnaire is when it comes to the specific word of asian that is a really great place for people to start so if anybody is listening please take it off of your application um shauna i'm going to go to you next so we're talking about the word asian specifically because it covers all sorts of cultures how do we navigate that word and then what has the last 18 months been like for you how do we support how do we get through this what do we do i think i've been lucky enough to whenever people talk about asian chinese kind of just comes to mind because it's the big one of the biggest populations and just stereotypically people think of that direction mm-hmm. um so you know if you're vietnamese or korean or what not like you're just kind of lumped in <laughs> to that group and i'm sure more frustrating for indians who are also part who are in asia it just kind of gets overshadowed so i'm i'm lucky in that sense um i i think there's a tendency just to 
classify people all that are different than you into one large group because there is there is that lack of understanding right so I say that I'm lucky because if you're in another um, Asian country you're probably just thought more likely by people who are ignorant of the fact that you're different to be just Chinese so I just happen to be Chinese so that's why I'm lucky in that sense but I think when there's kind of a lack of understanding that's kind of the reaction is check a box. Are you in this other group that we don't understand? So, right. And are you okay if I ask, like, if I went up to you and I was like, what's your background? And so you would tell me that you're Chinese. I mean, obviously I'm not going to go up to somebody and be like, Hey, are you Korean? (laughs) I mean, maybe, but like, are you okay with somebody coming up to you and saying, Hey, what's your background versus, Hey, are you Korean or Hey, are you Chinese? And just sort of making assumptions. I think it's always great when people ask because it shows that they are interested in knowing. Um, I think when people make assumptions, that's when you make assumptions about why they are making assumptions. Right. So anytime that you can kind of just be transparent. If you don't know, I I appreciate when people want to know. So I personally don't have an issue about it, but that's also just my personal preference. So I think think we have to be open on both sides. Yeah. Right. I think we have to be open on the one side to asking the questions and being okay asking a question. And then on the other side, being okay with the question being asked, Right. no matter where we are. So not a box. Yeah. And how do you give people the opportunity to learn if they can't ask? Right. So no one is just going to know these things. I'm sure there's lots of things. If I didn't ask, I wouldn't know. I would be making assumptions. So allowing people the opportunity to ask is actually kind of a good thing um, for people to have better understanding. Opening ourselves for that fun dance. And that takes me over to Stephanie, who loves dancing analogies. So I'm sure you have a lot to say and a lot to weigh in on here. Let's let's get into your perspective. Thank you. Um, why I'm going last because I think I would be pretty emotional to talk about the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to thank Martha. Um, thank you for your support. Let me get a little emotional. Okay. Um, thank you for your support because it's really great to hear from um other women from other ethnicity to show support to the Asian community um you know living in San Francisco um who just migrated to Austin I will say this might sound a little strange but um part of the reason there's many reasons for moving to 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 Texas but one of the reasons I decided to move to Texas is because there were just so much Asian hate crimes in the Bay Area and New York that it has been very, very difficult um, to be in the media, to be seeing, you know, I don't follow the news just for personal mental health, but the last 18 months um, since COVID, seeing all the Asian hate crime that's been happening, you know, in, in San Francisco and the, you know, your, your backyard, um, has been really emotionally draining um, in addition to dealing with COVID, dealing with work and personal things and health to make sure your family are all taken care of. I, I, I heard from uh, NPR or somewhere that 
almost 70% of Asian hate crime happens in the Bay Area, particularly in San Francisco, Oakland, and New York. And to me, where all my relatives are in, in the Bay Area, um, has been really challenging where my grandpa is 103 years old and he moves really slowly and it's just been really difficult to see him at home and he just want to go out for a walk. Um, see my parents, my dad, um, my parents don't speak a lot of English. So their enjoyment is going to Chinatown, going to the stores and shop at, you know, buy things and converse in their language that they're comfortable with and telling them not to go to Chinatown, the only kind of outlet um, that's taken away has been very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see other Asian um parents who's worked their whole life to bring their family here and not being able to just walk around the block and feel safe because they might be targeted on. Um, has, you know, I, I think I was really angry last year. Mm-hmm. I think part of me is still angry that this is happening in these big cities that Asian and particularly Chinese really helped establish San Francisco, New York for what they are today. And the fact that they're being targeted on is just, it made me really angry because you're not gonna be around your parents all the time. You can't watch their every move. And for them to work so hard to bring us here to save every dollar and not spend it on themselves and to help you to have a better future. And they get attacked. It's just, it's been very difficult. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing is that they can't speak for themselves because there is a language barrier. And when even when the police come and I you see the um, you know first responders come, they just don't know how to speak or connect and just verbalize their pain, their frustration, why they're being attacked. And sometimes it just made me cry at home. Yeah. So I tell my friend that, you know, if you see it, don't just stand there. Don't just record and pull out your phone. Say something. At least help them to create a comfort, um, to know someone is there for them, to speak up, to, to, to say what's wrong, um, so that they can feel they're protected in a way that they come to this country, um, they're not being attacked in a, in a place where they call home. A lot of immigrants move here because of the war. Um, you know, Vietnam, um, Vietnam War, this, you know, people escape. Chinese, they escaped. Um, other Asian countries, they come here and escape the war. And to feel like this is their new home because they, they left everything behind and come here and get attacked. It's, it's very, very heartbreaking. So thank you, Martha, for speaking up. And um, yeah, so I think that's a part of the reason I moved to Texas because I just couldn't be there and see those things and feel like you're, you're hopeless to do, to, to do things, you know, to protect your your family, people you you see Asian, 
and and just feel like I actually feel safer in Texas. Um, it's really a strange feeling to to, to to even hear myself say that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I was very perplexed. Um, I moved to Texas because I felt safer when I came to visit my friend, and I just thought, you know, slowly I'm gonna be my parents out of San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, maybe the house is bigger. They can walk around. Um, the plot can feel safe. Um, my neighbor in San Francisco, she told me that her dad amputated his leg because he had a surgery. He was so afraid of going around the block and um, he wasn't moving uh, easily and he was so afraid of getting attacked. So he just stayed home mm. and he was not recovering well. So they had to amputate his leg. Um, so to hear stuff like that is very, very heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry I get emotional, but no, no, uh, no, no. Hey, there is no apologies. I'm telling you, <laughs> I've already gotten emotional twice. And let me just say to you that thank you for being brave and for coming on this episode and sharing your experiences. And it's conversations like this where you can hear the support from somebody like Martha and everybody on this call. So you don't feel alone. And I know in a lot of these situations, you do feel alone, right? And you feel like there's not a lot of people that care because they're not coming to your aid and they're not visible to you. And so if you take anything from this conversation, just know that you have done an amazing job of bringing this to light in this conversation and that you've got people surrounding you that do that can be there and be supportive, even if you haven't met them. You haven't met any of these people. You haven't even met me yet, really. I mean, we're meeting each other on Zoom. Um, And that we are going to get this out there and people are going to listen to this and we are going to make a difference. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, you know, I find it very, I don't know if this is part of the culture that people are not aware of yet. Um, I think there is perception that Asian or Asian women are weaker, um, that they might not speak up if they're attacked or they just, they'll just take it in. Um, but I don't, I want to call out that I don't think that's it. I don't believe women or any woman or Asian or woman are weak. I think it's just part of our culture that we want to minimize issues if we can just accept it and let it go. Um, but that kind of mindset, that kind of background culture really make us not heard or we let go of the opportunity to be heard. And culturally, um, if you don't understand the Asian culture, you might think, oh, they'll just let it go. And you know, they're, they're like easy target, but that's not really why people don't speak or Asian people don't speak up. And I mentioned, earlier that um, I identify as Asian because I think in this kind of current culture, when your voice is stronger as a bigger group, you do get more awareness instead of saying Asian Americans being attacked or um, a Thai person being attacked in San Francisco. But when you say Asian, the number does increase. So there's more voice to be heard. Um, So I think in this particular aspect 
being identified as Asian does help us bring more light to the situation. Yeah, I, I love that. And thank you so much. There are moments in every single one of these blended episodes. And that was a moment. That is a moment that's going to make a huge impact. And that is why we do this. So, so thank you all for that. We've got a couple of questions left before we are going to wrap this up. And so I want to talk about some of the positives right? Because we always like to make our discussions tangible. We love to reflect and philosophize, philosophize a little. But it's so important if we want to help drive change that we give people real takeaways and practical ideas that can actually implement, that they can actually implement. And I know we've done this a little bit throughout the conversation, but let's tie it all together in the next couple of questions. So as leaders, what can we do to celebrate diversity through immigration, to create opportunities and to elevate those voices that Stephanie was just talking about? Shauna, do you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we can all do it through our personal, you know, between our personal lives and work. Um, if you are in a position at work to help elevate voices and positions around you that will bring, you know, more voices to, to, to that story, it would be, you know, these are things that we can do. We can be change agents. We can amplify other people's voices um, within within our own professional organizations. And then to Stephanie's point, you know, culturally, at least I think for Chinese Americans or Chinese uh, folks with Chinese descent um, tend to not want to speak up and hoping it would just go away to some extent, but this is the moment, this is kind of our moment to speak up. So, um, I remember having to, you know, even whether on social media or not, I think I wrote the same message like 30 times before actually hitting send, just trying to figure out, should I say something? Should I say something? And the fact that I had to do that 30 times just yeah. goes to show that, you know, I was doubtful even should I be saying something? And when I finally hit send, this like huge rock felt like it was lifted because this is, if you're going to say something, this is the moment to say something when everyone can say it together. So yeah. I think there are, there are definitely things that we each can personally overcome to increase and amplify everybody's voices in, in Absolutely. these times. And when you do speak up, you get to recognize who's with you and who's not, and you get to really decide who you want in your life. So Martha, I know you have to drop off, but I just want to ask you, do you have one tangible takeaway that everybody can sort of take away from this conversation before you go? And I just want to say thank you so much because I appreciate all of your perspectives today. Um, yeah, so definitely uh, it was a great conversation and I could not be more thankful to have been part of it. And so the one tangible thing I would say is that um, we have a responsibility to, um, to one another, just basically as human beings to treat each other from that level of respect, uh, with kindness and um, with acceptance knowing that we all come from different backgrounds, different, um, uh, whether we have immigrated here or whether you we were born here, whatever that might look like. 
is that we have to honor that space uh, and allow ourselves to uh, be able to find the breath and courage to be who we are without feeling that um, we are going to be ostracized or we, we are going to be treated any differently because of the things that are innately, um, naturally who we are. So that's, that's what I would say is um, I think we all need to begin from that space. Um, just like Martin Luther King said, it all begins with love. I mean, and that's just really what it comes down to. I love, love that. Love, not hate, love. I love that. Thank you so much, Martha. Appreciate you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you my, very much, ladies. I have to run and I will, uh, I'll be seeing you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. So, Stephanie, I'm going to go to you next. Um, let's talk about it. What can leaders um, do for, you know, Im immigration or immigrants when we're talking about it from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint? And then what would be the one tangible takeaway that you would hope that the audience would walk away from this discussion with? Um, I think for leaders, they need to have more empathy and really connect with immigrants a little bit more. Um, I think a lot of these policyholders are born here, so they no longer identify themselves as immigrants. <laughs> so for them to come to the standpoint of, building a system that they see fit rather than from a standpoint where I was from, I was once an immigrant or I'm a son and daughters of immigrants. How do I understand the fear of coming to a new country, not knowing the language? How do we make that transition better for them? How do we make them feel like this is their new home? is really going back to what Martha said, we're all human. We really should be more accepting and less judgmental of others and really come from a place of love. I, I constantly see this and it just always reminds me um, of this photo. Um, it's a, it's a Instagram account I follow. It's called the bucket list family. Oh, I and love it's that family. Yep. <laughs> yes. They're, I think they're traveling Kenya right now. They're at an orphanage and one of the three kids that they travel with is named, um, Manila and the mother is Caucasian. The father, I believe is, um, Asian American heritage. And they went to Kenya just to either travel or helping build or rebuild this orphanage. And the second child, Manila, was playing with a local kid. And you see that where their skin color is different, but when they play together, there's no language being spoken and they just play and they're having a great time. Mm -hmm. So when you see that, you know, and culturally, we're just all humans. There's no color difference. There's no language. You don't need to speak. You just need to love and come from a kindness place so that we can all live on this earth and unite. Mm -hmm. And hate, discrimination, they're all learned. They're all taught. If we can learn those we can unlearn those or learn more about love and mm -hmm. 
So it takes the part of your hatred away. Yeah. Occupy your, your 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 heart with more kindness. Do more of giving instead of take. Um, if leaders can come, you know, build their system or revise, revamp the system to be more empathetic, come from a love loving place. I think there is hope. Absolutely. And so beautifully put. Shniha, last but absolutely not least, once again, how can leaders really embrace DEI when it comes to immigration? And then what's one tangible takeaway you'd like everybody to walk away from this conversation with? Um, I think most of it were covered by um, by all of us here. Mm-hmm. Um, my suggestion, actually, you know, I would just like to point out that, you know, do not let your, uh, you know, this uh, thing called ATS that you use to filter people out uh, based on, I don't know, their ethnicity or their immigration status. Do not do that. Try and meet people. You never know what you're missing on. Embrace every culture, every ethnicity, every gender, every race, every color, everyone uh, on humane grounds. And, um, you know, I've always said diversity can just change the whole landscape of how you are running the business because of the unique ideas and differences that we have, like how uh, and how different we are uh, and all the, you know, knowledge that we carry from the experiences we have had. Just bringing that together um, on a table is going to be so powerful. Try and unlock that. I think we need more and more companies. run this talk. Um, I think we have lost the time to walk it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you so much to Stephanie, Martha, Shniha, and Shauna. And of course, um, love the fact that you all joined me today. It's been truly inspiring and humbling to learn all about your journeys and understand how those experiences have shaped you. Unfortunately, there's still a stigma in certain areas around immigration. I really hope that conversations like this help to break that down and really show the power and joy to be found in sharing our cultures and communities and in celebrating diversity. For me, I know that the more conversations I have like this and the more wonderful and inspirational people I speak to, just like you all, the more excited I am about the innovation that is going to be unlocked when we all collaborate together. As always, if the show resonated with you as listeners or you have an experience that you'd like to share, let us know on social media, um, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, Twitter, Facebook, even TikTok. So we really do encourage you to help us to keep that conversation going. And thanks again to our sponsors, Ships and Apex, for helping to make the show happen. We really appreciate you and everything you do for us. And don't forget to join us again next time for episode 13 of Blended, where we'll be tackling more key issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality with honesty, humor, and more importantly, passion. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Sarah.